You're listening to Tail Chasing, home of the spine-tingling, bump-in-the-dark, bite-my-neck-and-call-me-taken podcast. Urban fantasy for writers and readers. Yay, we're recording. Okay, so, Mr. Chris Lester, um, since I couldn't get... Um, since I couldn't get to the panel, um, because I couldn't get to Balticon, please tell me how to write darkly. <laughs> how to write darkly. Hmm. Okay. Well, first off, hi, I'm Chris Lester. I'm the author of Metamore City Podcast, which is a dark urban fantasy noir cyberpunk genre mashup. <laughs> okay. Metamorecity.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you well know, since you've been one of my voice actors since about the middle of season one. Mm-hmm. Very uh, happy. You are the person who got me into voice acting. That <laughs> makes me so proud. <laughs> <laughs> you are responsible for my voice acting career. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a bit of a joke about that. On uh, I was interviewed on full cast uh, a couple weeks ago. And... Uh, I was giving advice for people who are like looking for voice actors in to be in their audio dramas. Mm-hmm. And I said, keep in mind that anybody who is, you know, voice acting for you, they are doing you a favor. You're not doing them a favor. They're, they're not going to, you know, thank you for, for, you know, giving, you know, it, you're, you're not, uh, just gracing them with the opportunity to be on your podcast you're not giving them their big break and then i paused and said unless you're me and the person in question is kimmy alexander but there was no way that i could know that at the time yep 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 <laughs> now i've told and and i um when i spoke i guess two weekends ago one weekend ago i don't remember um at um the panel about how to turn your audio into f- your story into fiction really i can speak how to turn your story into audio, and then also when I was talking about um, social networking and using um, social media for marketing, I was answering a lot of voiceover questions, and I was telling people that you know there's a lot of podcast novelists and a lot of people out there who um, can't really afford to pay for um, actors, and that it's a really great way to to um, to get into voice acting and to pad your you know your resume as far as you know work that you've done and you know people don't necessarily need to know whether or not you got paid for it it's still it still counts so um no i'm a great way to learn to earn experience about things like okay how do i set up my system to record how do i you know what what kind of microphone works best with my voice you know Absolutely. How do I create different effects with my voice? All that stuff. Yeah. So, so you're right. You, um, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity that you gave me. So, you're right. Unless you're you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's your credentials. Now we know who you are. Um, right. you've been on tail chasing though before, I think once. Yes, I have. Right near the beginning, I yeah. think a couple of years ago, you interviewed me. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm restarting that, and I'm hoping to get back on track so we're glad to have you back thank you 
I've missed you guys too, lots, and I missed all of you guys at Balticon, and I'm hoping that I can come next year. So I'm already, I'm already thinking about that. So that would be awesome. Good things are already in the works for next year's Balticon. Yay! Cool. So tell me, tell me how I can write darkly. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> no um, pressure. <laughs> it's such a broad question. Can you narrow it down to like a place to start? Uh, well, what do you, what? What frame of mind do you need to be in, um, or um, just uh, what's the definition actually of of like dark? Uh, writing dark fiction. Um, I would define um, a dark tone in fiction as something that is more you know. So so picture a sliding scale between idealism on one end and cynicism on the other end mm -hmm. um, with realism, you know, somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, uh, the far idealist side of things, you've got, you know, the, the shiny, happy stories where everything goes the, the hero's way and everybody solves their problems without the use of violence. And everybody is, is you know, this Rousseauian noble human who just is, you know, limited by, you know, if, there, if there's anything keeping them, you know, causing conflict in the story, it's because of their own lack of understanding and that that can be, you know, overcome and that people can be happy and, you know, beautiful and wonderful and da 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 So that's the idealist end of the spectrum. The cynical end of the spectrum um, is more like the classic um, noir fiction, uh, you know, detective stories where everybody is based, you know, the, the Maltese Falcon. Everybody is a crook or a bastard. Everybody's looking to get theirs. Everybody is corrupt and... Um, People solve their problems through trickery, deception, uh, manipulation, the use of brute force, mm -hmm. and there are no really happy endings. Um, that's the extreme end in the other direction. I think that when you're, and, and when people do manage to get things for themselves um, to make their, their lives better or make their story better, um, there's usually some sort of painful or negative consequence for somebody else. Okay. Um, I think that if I were going to put a definition on dark fiction, I would say that it is stuff that is not necessarily all the way at the extreme cynical end of the scale, but things that look unflinchingly at the negative consequences of character choices. Um, both the protagonists and the antagonists. Um, it's stuff that doesn't soft pedal uh, the ugliness in the world. And um, sometimes that, that ugliness, ugliness may be presented very literally in the sense of, you know, for example, somebody who's dealing with a drug addiction or who is you know, sexually abused and has to overcome the consequences of that or it may be um, metaphorized 
through the use of monsters and vampires and demons and what have you. Okay. Um, but it's stuff that looks at the darker side of human nature and at the consequences of play, letting those, those sides of ourselves out to play. Um, I think that dark fiction is, is typically fiction in which there are no easy answers for the heroes and where pluck and courage and strength of character and the power of friendship and the power of love, those may all be real valuable things, mm-hmm. but you're not going to get, uh, if you, if you're, if you do get your happy ending, you're going to have to work for it. And there's going to be a lot of pain and ugliness that you're going to have to go through en route in order to get there. Mm. Okay. Um, this comes from the question comes primarily because I'm, I'm due to write an, er- an erotic a la carte and mm-hmm. it's, based in dark fantasy and while I've read and read a lot of urban fantasy I don't know that I've read too much dark fantasy well dark fantasy is a marketing term it it basically is just another name for urban fantasy for people who don't like the um, who, who don't place their stuff exclusively in the urban genre like Kim Harrison considers herself a dark fantasy writer. I think that um, Laurel K. Hamilton considers herself dark fantasy. Um, I don't think that there is a really a, a strong dividing line between those two terms, other than urban fantasies are um, more exclusively urban in nature. Right. Uh, Charlene Harris is... You know, to a certain extent, dark fantasy, and uh, but her stuff is not remotely urban. It's uh, you know, it's it's all backwoods Louisiana right. type stories. So, see, uh, and I don't know that I would place her as dark fantasy, but maybe it's on. It's my my um my urge to to say that is based on the level of writing. Mm-hmm. Does does that make sense? Um, depends on what you mean by level. It feels to me like if we're comparing, if we're comparing like Laurel K. Hamilton and Charlene Harris, not that she she's not a good writer. It just seems like it's on a on a different um, grade level to mm. me. It or it feels that way. I don't know why it feels mm. that way to me, but it but it does. And and the books primarily, uh, and we're not talking at all about. Oops. Sorry, we're not talking at all about um, True Blood, right? That, which is very dark, from what I hear. Very, 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 very dark, um, and very sexualized, um, and and that's where the books seem to differ because it mm-hmm. it seems l- so much lighter, at least from what I remember that I read. Yeah. Um, so I think part of that's because we see the books from Suki's perspective, mm. um, whereas. And she's, I don't know if you could say that she's basically a happy person, but I think that she's um, positive. A more po- yeah, a more positive person than uh, is average for the people she hangs out with. And 
getting the omniscient third-person viewpoint that you get in a TV series uh, and getting to see the stuff that happens when Suki's not around. Um, <laughs> we see it um, without her filter. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So how much... Do you do you think it's it's a matter of? I guess I'm stuck in this this thought that I have to write it more on a on a horror based, and I and I don't think that's correct. No, I don't think so. I think that I think that dark fantasy or dark fiction um, is kind of the spiritual successor to to gothic literature, um, in which grew out of the the romantic movement of the uh, the 19th century and it was a, a time when people were uh sort of rebelling against the uh, what they saw as the cold uh heartless logic of the enlightenment period um it's a genre that's very much about emotion and very much about um passionate intensity and i think that you know, there's that part of dealing with the full emotional spectrum of humanity is looking unflinchingly at uh, the dark side of, of human nature. And okay. If so, I, I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be horrific, but it's definitely um, intense. And there's a... a um, the characters in a, in a gothic or dark fiction sort of story are going to feel intensely, are going to act on the basis of their feelings. Um, their logic is going to be colored by their anger, their fear, their passion, their love, their lust, um, all of these things that make us human. Okay. And, uh, they may do good things, they may do bad things, but they're going to, they're, the emotional um, char- core of the characters is essential to the story and to the decisions that they make. Okay, that makes sense. And I think, I think with what I'm planning to write, I think I, I, I go into that. Mm-hmm. I think I just need to make sure that I don't get hung up in in this thought that I have to write horror because it's not about that so right. which is what you basically just explained so that makes sense I think um, how did that panel go um, where you talked about this kind of stuff well we didn't really talk about any of this kind of stuff what we were talking about was more along the question of self-censorship and uh, when do you do it versus when do you show um, the details of the uh, the ugliness of what's going on in your stories. Um, if characters are behaving in a way that is um, that is ugly and dark, um, how much of that do you show? How how deep into that do you go? And when do you cut away? And uh, so we talked a bit about why. You know why to even deal with the the serious, darker things? Why do stories that focus on the uh, on the ugly side of human nature 
um, what purpose does it serve for the writer? What purpose does it serve for the readers mm -hmm. uh, who are, are you know, partaking of this kind of literature? And how much is too much? Interesting. And, <clears throat> and what was the consensus? Ooh, I don't know if there was a consensus. <laughs> um, I think that this is its a, something that everybody deals with differently. Um, I think that from my perspective... Um, that it was it was important to show to go dark and to show the um, the face of evil, as it were, uh, unflinchingly, in order to contrast with the uh, with the heroes. Um, and I think this is this is particularly appropriate when your heroes are romantic heroes who are flawed. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, the staples of, of romanticism that, uh, has carried on to the present and I think was, was one of the really good, uh, developments of that period is that your heroes are not lily white. They are not, um, idealized. They are, they are people with flaws, um, you know, you think about some of the the, the protagonists in, you know, like the writings of, of Charles Dickens mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the really extreme end, Lord Byron, uh, characters who um, were not, did not fit the, the classical definition of the hero. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that has been passed down to the modern uh, era of literature and that we like our heroes to be rounded. We like them to be imperfect. We like them to have flaws. Um, but the darker that you make the heroes, um, the darker that you have to make the, the antagonists also. Um, unless you're doing some sort of really morally complex, gray-on-gray -gray sort of story uh, where nobody's right, right or nobody's completely right, which you can do and is laudable, but it's it's... Um, kind of uh, fantasy generally requires a bit more of a uh, moral separation between your good guys and your bad guys. Um, it's a bit more of a um, an idealized sort of a genre uh, in the sense that you generally have such a thing as, as good and such a thing as evil and you know Theoretically, you want good to win, right. so right. <laughs> I think um, that yeah. So so I think that it's it's important to to show your your bad guys and let them be bad and be realistic about the effects of what they do. Um, so. um, for anybody who hasn't had a chance to go over to um, Metamore City, um, and I know that you've got several different pieces that you've put up at at Metamore. Um, without, if you can do it, without um, giving spoilers, can you give us an example of um, a place where you've, you've put in, you know, an example of the dark, the dark fiction, dark fantasy mm -hmm. element in any of, any of your work? Sure. Uh, a couple of examples that come to mind. Um, stupid dog. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Is that your, is that your puppy? That's our dogs. <laughs> Give them a moment. No problem. 
They apparently have a lot to say about dark fiction. Mm. I think they have more to say about the fact that my brother just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to go? No, no, no. Okay. He's probably just here to pick up his Xbox game that arrived in the mail today. Cool. It was addressed to C. Lester, and it's like, ah, oh, I wonder what this is. And then I opened it up, and it's uh, Xbox 360, and I thought, okay, wrong C. Lester. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, they seem to be quieted down now. Okay. So I can think of two examples. Uh, one is from the mm, the most recent story in the feed that I wrote, which was uh, Whispers in the Wood, mm-hmm. um, where I have a, um, a fairy character. Um, and fairies have gotten a lot of different portrayals over the centuries. Um, you know, the, the Tolkien's elves were were tall and majestic and noble and magical and sour sorrowful uh the victorian fairies were these cutesy little sprites that were you know basically you know little creatures of imagination and wonder um and generally uh beneficent um I really wanted my fairies to go back to the old school, um, the uh, the mound dwellers of the uh, the ancient Celtic lore, where these these were creatures who were terrifying, mm-hmm. um, terrifying and insane, and uh, so the uh, my my investigator character has a number of. Uh, encounters with a type of fairy uh, called the Leonanshi, which is this, it's not a pure evil sort of character. It's a, you know, they they were supposed to have uh, taken mortals as uh, their, you know, become patrons of mortal artists and help them to produce these great fantastic works. but there was always a price mm-hmm. and they were, you know, feeding on these people as they were, you know, helping them to produce this, these works of genius. And, uh, so our character, you know, our hero gets to, to sort of, you know, try to feel out this, this she and what it wants and what it's doing. And we get to see a bit of, what the character has done in the past in order to make sure that she got what she wanted. And, uh, I felt like it was really important to let people see, uh, how thoroughly these, this creature was capable of destroying people's lives in the pursuit of what it saw as its, um, you know, its higher purpose. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even though it was creating something that was, you know, seemingly beautiful and was helping some people and was creating this great, um, you know, legacy to be left behind that would enrich human culture, uh, there's this horrible price that comes along with it. Uh, and I think that that sort of, you know, the, the one hand giveth and the other hand taketh away sort of thing is very... Uh, characteristic mm-hmm. of um, 
of dark fantasy and of particularly of of classical um, fairy literature. And uh, you know the whole "be careful what you wish for" and you know who you make bargains with sort of thing. Right. Um, <clears throat> another example was uh, with my uh, first novel, uh, Making the Cut, with uh, your character mm-hmm. and uh, the story of her interactions with, uh, with the vampire uh, Lord uh, Malcolm Ardvalos. And uh, you know, she, I'm not going to, to give away the whole story here, but you know, he basically takes a, a character who is um, young and talented and intelligent and successful and confident and breaks her. Mm-hmm. Um, and tears her down to nothing uh, simply because she offended him and he enjoyed the process of breaking someone who who was um, in, who, who considered themselves to be a strong person right. and I talked a bit at the the panel about the the dangers that go in with this when you take particularly female characters in literature and you do horrible things to them and you break them down. There's this whole phenomenon called that is referred to as women in refrigerators mm. um, where, um, you know, a, a, a female character in particular becomes the, the object of horrible things in order to advance the plot. Right. Um, and that's something that, that I, I, I'm personally opposed to and find you know one of the more unfortunate uh, misogynistic aspects of our entertainment culture mm-hmm. uh, and you see it happen again and again and again so I was really um, cognizant of that when I was writing this story because I always try to, to portray strong positive female uh, characters in my works mm-hmm. and uh, but in this case with with your character and with uh, the character of uh, Miriam Bakhtavar, I, I felt like it was really necessary, not just for the plot, but for the characters, for them to go through this process of being broken down and shattered because they then get to go through the process of finding each other and helping each other save each other. Right. Um, and they they go through this period of darkness, but they don't they don't end there. They don't uh, end as statistics. They you know help each other to pull themselves out of the ashes, and they end up strong and transformed by the experience, and more capable in some ways than they were at the beginning. Absolutely. And so. Um, that was it's a case of it's it's a an example of how you can go dark without being um completely over on the cynical end of the the scale um without being completely hopeless and despairing um you know you can it's okay to bring your characters out of the uh the disaster and give them a, a better ending. But, uh, what, what separates the dark fiction from the not so dark fiction 
is that you really show that process of the hell that they have to go through in order to come out the other side. Right. Okay. And um, it's recording again. So anyway, um, yeah, that's that's one of the things I'm trying to figure out how to do in a short story is be able to show because I I know exactly in my story where that darkness is coming from. I just haven't gotten to the point in my thinking or or in, maybe it'll come when I'm writing it of how to pull it back out of you know back out of that darkness. Yeah. It's a lot to do in a short story and a lot of times in short stories you only see a piece of the character's process. You the, you know the story may start with them at the bottom and then have them working their way out or it may you know start with their fall and then end with the first glimmer of hope that things are going to change and that they're going to to find their way out again um do you think that that's in, in that second case do you think that that is <clears throat> satisfactory enough for the reader um to have that glimmer of hope and it's not too much of a of a cliffhanger that they'll they'll feel let down at the end of the story? I think when it's done well, it, it works quite well. Um, one I'm sure, thing, no pressure if it's done well. <laughs> one, thing, one thing that I've noticed in short fiction is you get a lot more unhappy endings in short fiction than you do in novels. Mm -hmm. um, people seem to be able to handle tragedies in short fiction much more readily than they will handle it after they've devoted, you know, 300 pages or 15 to 30 hours of their life to reading something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's also partly because short stories are more often about ideas than they are about um, characters uh, or the character is a vehicle for exploration of, a, of an idea. Uh, just and, and partly that's the nature of the the format. You don't have as much time to explore with uh, with a short story as you do with a, a novel or even with a novella. Um, <clears throat> I would say don't be afraid to just end the story where it needs to end for the you know for the sake of pacing. I mean. Mm -hmm. There are many right ways to do things in uh, in writing. Yeah. There are many wrong ways as well, but there are many right ways. And I'm not going to prescribe a formula for you must have by, you know, by the five thousand word mark you should have accomplished X, Y, and Z. Uh, that's right. just not. It's 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 ludicrous. Right. Um, how long was your uh, erotica a la carte? Oh, heavens. Um, I don't remember the exact word count. If you give me a moment here, I can look it up. I think I have it on this computer. We can edit this in post. No problem. Editor, Editing is your friend. Editing is your friend. Though I'm trying to do less of it these days because it takes me longer to get stuff out if I have to edit it a, a ton. Right. <laughs> so... My, my last one I just kind of threw up. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, my erotica a la carte story was 5,200 words. Okay. Yeah, because I don't think Pip gave me an actual word count. And I know that like some people have written a lot and some people have written a shorter amount. Um, I saw anywhere from you know 26 minutes to um, 90 minutes. So mm -hmm. um, I, do, I do know that there's that leeway to go, you know, but... Yeah, yeah, I'd say the 30 to 45 minute mark is typical for her stuff. More, more of it towards the, thir the 20 to 30 uh, side. And about what do you think that, that breaks down to as far as word count? Well, Tears Such as Angels Weep was 38 minutes, including the intro and outro. So okay. if you figure, you know, 30, 33 minutes of story, maybe. Okay. Uh, for 5,000 words. So 5,000 words is a good target size. Okay. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you um, taking some time and, and answering my questions, especially since it was spur of the moment. Um, I, think, I think I've got a good um, handle on, on what I needed to know and uh, a good little episode here for Tail Chasing. Um, what are you working on next for Metamore? Uh, right now, Metamore is on indefinite hiatus so okay. that I can focus on Things Unseen, which is the next novel. Cool. It is a, um, it's a detective story. We have a group of rich kids who, members of the, the nobility's next gen, <laughs> nobility, the next generation, um, <laughs> who managed to get themselves in way, way, way over their heads uh, and get them get uh, in contact with something that is rather dangerous. And uh, bodies start showing up, which means that then the Metamore City Police Department gets involved and uh, our detectives, Kate and David, have to figure out what the hell happened and try to figure out how to stop it from happening and, uh, you know, save these young idiots from themselves. <laughs> um, does it have um, a lot to, I mean, does it have much tie-in to your previous Metamore stories? There are, the strongest tie-ins for this book are to... Uh, Brian Watson's story, Make Believe, which appeared in season one. Um, there are also dominoes that are being set up for books four and five, especially in the series. Uh, the stuff that's happening here is going to pay off in a big way later. Uh, oh. But we're still in the early stages of the Metamore City story arc, and I'm still setting up pieces rather than knocking them down at this point. Nice. I think in a way I'm, I'm doing something similar to you as far as what I decided to do with Guardians, only in a very shorter... Um, you're, you're writing full book lengths and I'm, I'm going to be writing short story mm -hmm. um, pieces because I, I had to try and figure out what I was going to do because I want to get Guardians done, but I've, I've hence figured out that I, I don't know that I'm necessarily cut out to be a um, an, an author with with huge deadlines mm. um, 
So, um, and especially since my voice um, acting has kind of taken off, I'm really, really enjoying that. So, um, with Guardians, I'm going to be writing short, short stories that that kind of do what it sounds like yours, um, your longer pieces are doing. You know, setting up a big arc that that you know you can follow, but each thing has its own tie-in. I just haven't figured out if I'm going to be able to write each story as standalone pieces that you wouldn't necessarily need to write to listen to. Um, listen to slash read the others, um, mm-hmm. and I don't want to do that whole. You know, let's recap the first in the first. You know, ten pages, everything from every other story that's been written. Yeah, that's no fun. <laughs> um, one, what I would try to do is, if you have these characters in these different stories that are coming at uh, the same situation from different directions. Um, try to set it up so that if the people have read the other stories, they get bonus. You know, it, it's an added bonus. They may get in-jokes and mm. references that you don't get otherwise. Right. Um, but that are not essential to understanding the current story. Right. Um, like, there's a part in Things Unseen where um, we, we see uh, Callie Linder... Uh, are my runner character and she's at the racetrack and uh, one of the the techies there asks her uh, if she's racing today and she says you know no I've got to run from a, a hot you know hot run from a client I've got to go and he says it's too bad I've had good luck betting on you and the you know the the person who has listened to all of the stories will know that Callie has this super supernatural luck aura that follows her and good things happen to her um, on an improbable basis. And so there's a little you know, bit of an Easter egg there for mm-hmm. the listener who has heard everything. But for the person who hasn't read those stories, it's just, you know, it's a bit of character interaction that seems reasonable. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, it could just be the guy flirting with her. Right. So... Yeah, I try to I try to put in little nods like that that show that all these characters are tied together as part of a larger uh, world, but that uh, they are sort of flowing in and out of each other's stories, and uh, not necessarily you know the things that that one of them does in one story may come back to influence the others, but mm-hmm. um, it's not you don't necessarily have to know all the details in order to get the benefit of of you know, enjoying what's going on right now. Very cool. So is there any other shout-outs you'd like to give before I uh, I let you go back to the life that you were leading before I was like, Chris, help me. Hmm. Somebody else who, who does dark remarkably well, um, I'm going to mention two people. Okay. One is J. Daniel Sawyer, mm-hmm. uh, who does a sci-fi thriller series called The Antithesis Progression which is basically the American Revolution in space, uh, and also does a uh, country house mystery series, uh, story called uh, Down from Ten, mm-hmm. which uh, is a locked room mystery with uh, a group of uh, particularly decadent uh, artists who are trapped under an avalanche for ten days up in the mountains of California. Mm-hmm. Um, both really good stories that don't 
you know, they, they look unflinchingly at the dark side of humanity, but there's also a lot of <clears throat> beauty and wonder and intrigue and other good stuff in there. Okay. Uh, so both of those you can find at jdsawyer.net. Uh, the other author who I want to mention whose work I've gotten into recently is Abigail Hilton. Mm-hmm. Um, with her um, her, ser- her YA, YA fantasy series, The Prophet of Panamandora, and uh, her pirate high seas adventure, uh, The Guild of the Cowry Catchers. Um, these are fantasy stories that definitely take some of the most unflinching um, looks at the, the darker side of uh, mortal nature. We can't really call these characters human. They're not. But this is a world of predators, predator species and prey species. And you have things like characters torturing one another and characters eating each other and wearing each other's skins as clothing. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I mean, there is some, some brutal stuff in there. And yet, it is... On the whole, I think a very optimistic sort of world, um, which is something I think that's is true about Metamore too. People will frequently talk to me about how dark the the world is, but that the uh, you know my characters ultimately there is there is good and there is evil, and the good guys win. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's something that is true in Abby's stories as well, and I've been really impressed with her. Her characterization, in particular, is phenomenal, and uh, she does a lot of morally complex characters who don't always do the right thing and have to pay the consequences for their their bad decisions, um, and sometimes they have to pay the consequence consequences for doing the the right thing for doing the the good thing right. um, and you know acts of mercy that come back to bite them in the ass later and you know that's the sort of thing that you don't normally you don't see in your classic epic fantasy generally characters are, are rewarded for for doing the good thing and for behaving nobly and uh, in the real world Sometimes good deeds don't go unpunished, right. and uh, that's something that she definitely looks at. So check out Abigail Hilton's writings. You can find all of her stuff from her main site, which is, I believe, faunus dot is it dot com or dot or faunus dot com. That's f a u n e s s dot com, and you can find links to all of her books from there. Great, awesome, and um, and you're in it, right? You did some voice acting. Yes, I am in uh, Guild of the Cowrie Catchers. I play the um, the heroic antagonist <laughs> because this this is a story uh, in which it, it's the story of the 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 rebellion fighting bravely against the evil empire, uh, told from the point of view of the the empire's chief officers um you've got the cap the new captain of the temple police for this evil uh sea dragon cult that 
promotes the the slavery and subjugation of you know whole races of people, whole species of people in these islands, and uh, you know this this uh, high priestess calls upon a man uh, named Gerard who is is an honorable guy, but he's a member of the ruling class. He's a member of the haves and does not really look at how his society is built on the backs of these, you know, supposedly inferior races. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doesn't look at it at first. And, you know, is put into this position of basically being put in charge of the KGB and so it's like it's like imagine if you know a good guy is put in charge of the KGB or the Nazi SS and is told you know hunt down this pirate who is you know sinking our ships and assassinating uh, all of my lieutenants including your predecessor <laughs> and <laughs> and by the way he's targeting you now too right <laughs> And the the contrast between this uh, between Gerard, who is this honorable character, and uh, his counterpart in the Temple Sea Watch, uh, Silvio, who is this very mercenary, uh, cold blooded, ruthless character who has cl- clawed his way up from the lower class uh, and earned his place by being as ruthless as possible, and uh, the contrast between them as they are both seeking this uh, charismatic, intellectual pirate captain, uh, played by me, uh, who is, I I call him a cross between Nelson Mandela and the Dread Pirate Robert. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting book and a very interesting look at uh, gray versus gray morality. Very cool. All right, well, um, thanks for coming in. Uh, on again and thanks mm-hmm. for the shout outs and um, I will have to have you on again I'm sure to talk about something um, I'd love to you're so cool and um, <laughs> and uh, it goes without saying if you ever need me for a part I'm there man and, awesome and I will talk to you later thanks very much Chris I appreciate it thanks Kimmy no problem The Dead Robot Society Podcast and MWS Media LLC are proud to announce Explorers Beyond the Horizon, a short story anthology to be published in 2011. The stories in Explorers will feature characters forever changed by the discoveries beyond their land or world. Fiction submissions are now open for Explorers. The submission period will end at 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time, December 31st, 2010. This is a paying market with royalty sharing. Please go to www.deadrobotsociety.com forward slash anthology for complete submission guidelines and answers to frequently asked questions. Good luck to everyone. That's it for this episode of Tail Chasing. Take a second and comment on the site. Send me email. Or leave me voicemail at 201-830-1586 because I love getting your feedback and hearing what you have to say on the subject we both love. And remember, if you're going to chase a tail, proper feeding and care is required. If you're lucky, it might curl up and call you home.